Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to Following On County Cricketer, myself, John Norman, the big man, Nick Friend, the even bigger man, Steve Harmison, and another man, George DeBell, waiting to talk about some well, cricket. Was going. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about some cricket. Now, Nick, you're only going to be with us for the start of the show. You've got uh, prior uh, engagement. I was so stressed on days three and four of the last round of the county championship action. I actually turned it off. So I have, I, I know what happened, but um, it is ridiculous to be my age and still let yourself be so affected by essentially um, a game of cricket. But that's, that's where we were. Um, I, I came off Twitter, off the Cricketer magazine, um, off Crick Info, off Crick Buzz, off everything. And then went back yeah, on Thursday night at seven o'clock. And I thought, oh, phew, okay, we're fine. And then I was chatting with Dan Norcross who told me to grow a pair and follow all the action on Friday. And so I did. And I watched Surrey lose four wickets in about 15 minutes. And essentially, I knew I wasn't going to be able to get any work done. I had loads of work to do on Friday. So I turned it off and then ventured back at about 20 past four and then cheered on Hampshire for the first and only time in my life. Um, What did I miss? I can I can vouch for that because I phoned John on Friday and all he said, all he shouted me down the phone <laughs> after every point he was trying to make was, they've lost another one. <laughs> we I, I can too, actually. Uh, I went for a <laughs> cup of coffee with him in Leeds. Do you remember? We went to Tim Lindley's cafe yeah. um, well, well, and I talked about Tim Lindley invented Wobble Scene, by the way. <laughs> and and he was, John was a wreck. It was, yeah, it was. It was ridiculous. He was like, I would think I was a bit like that recently when my daughter was giving birth. <laughs> it was just to put it in perspective, it was about the same. The anxiety and yet, up and down. It was he really And yet cares. it's not even and yet it's A, not even the last week of the season. And B, even the worst case set of results for Surrey 
would have had Surrey still top. Yeah, Surrey. Get out of yourself. On, mate, we would have had <laughs> to gone it... to the Aegeus Bowl on a results pitch in the late September and essentially have to win the game because Essex would and still may get 24 points from Northampton. You cannot tell me I have no right not to be distracted, slightly anxious. That's what the it's thing all about, is, isn't it? The thing is, he's grown up a Fulham fan. There's been a lot of hurt, <laughs> a lot of disappointment. <laughs> and I think, no, I genuinely think that's had uh, an effect, hasn't it? And anyway, I love the yeah. passion. Oh, honestly, I, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I was chatting with Harmy and I was in a perfectly good mood. And then I think Dan Worrell was caught behind it. And I just ended the conversation. I was like, oh, they've lost another one. And I just, oh, no. And then I realised I've got so much work to do. I am not going to be able to get any of it done. So I just opted out. And do you know what? It was a very good decision. And I'm so relieved. But I tell you what, though, I couldn't really celebrate that much because... It, Surrey played atrociously. They played so poorly. I am not going to celebrate Hampshire beating Essex. But, well, okay, here's a question for you, a specific question for you. Did Essex blow it, Nick Friend? No. I think Essex did. um, I think, to use that phrase, Essex probably played all the cricket for about two and a half days of a three and a half day game, didn't they? And then... um, I think if you were, I think if you, no, I don't think so at all. They they, they set two hundred and seventy to win in two thirds of a day on a pitch that was taking a lot of turn with the best spinner in the country, um, and and someone played brilliantly. Like that's the game, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I I agree I mean, that Liam Dawson deserves a lot more credit than yeah. than, oh, than, I mean, than I mean, saying that Essex played badly. Liam Dawson might be the player of the four. season. Hampshire were 30 for four, chasing 270, with Harmer going through his stuff, with Jamie Porter, Sam Cook, and Umesh Yadav being about as good as about as good a county seam attack as you could come up with at the moment. Um, you know, in a pretty, I don't know how full it was, but I suspect a pretty sort of fervent, passionate Chelmsford with, with a bit of the, you know, sort of Alistair Cook narrative going on, going on the background, knowing that Surrey weren't winning. Everything was stacked in, I wouldn't say stacked in Essex's favour, but everything was stacked against a Hampshire win. I think to and bear in mind that Hampshire, you know, semi-blown a cup final less than a week earlier. It, it, I think chasing the exact same score, actually, with Dawson, the, you know, the man at the crease on both occasions. And to do what he did there, I mean, 100 and, 104th in the fourth innings chase against, um, I mean, I, I said this with no authority or stats to back it up. I'd be amazed if anyone has, I'd be amazed if anyone has scored 104th innings chase against Simon Harmer at Chelmsford. I know that Rob Yates did it at Edgebaston a couple of years ago, but I can't yes. think of another player who'd have done that to an Essex attack featuring Harmer in conditions like that. Um, certainly, with that much on the line to to do that, as I say, with um, you know, with the backdrop of what happened at Trent Bridge a week earlier, um, you know, with with all the constant <clears> talk around Dawson in a you know sort of English cricketing context, having lost Vince as well, um, and and I think also what's interesting is. You know, and this is probably where Hampshire was so dangerous. Hampshire have absolutely no skin in the game, do they? Like, they, they can't win the title. If it was a three-horse race, you know, it'd be very interesting to see how that last day played out. I suspect you'd have seen something more like what Surrey did against North Ants, Um, and just make sure you kill the game. And and it looked at, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, even 
once you decide not to kill the game, the amount that has to go right to do what he did and, and Hampshire did is a remarkable effort. So I don't think Essex blew it at all. I just think Hampshire played. Also, I think Liam Dawson played brilliantly. I think the declaration was about right. The intent of start of opening up with Rossington was about right. Um, it's one of those ones where if they'd drawn the game and had them nine down, you say, oh, you, 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 know, you didn't declare soon enough. And if you get chased down with a few overs to spare, then, then you should have batted on longer, isn't it? I don't think they could have done much else, really, with the time taken out of the game as well. Before you go, Nick, <laughs> how do you feel? Because Dan Lawrence is leaving Essex and there are rumours surrounding Salas de Cook. How are, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Durham later, and we have spoken about Durham extensively and the fact that they very quietly feel that they may be in with the title, and they may have title aspirations next year. Hmm. How how do you think Essex and Hampshire are going to be lining up next year? Are they going to be as good? I mean, I can't see why. Essex wants to replace Dan Lawrence with Jordan Cox. I don't think I mean, Jordan Cox is a couple of years younger. I don't think he's quite at the level that Lawrence is yet um, and hasn't had a fantastic year either. Um, but it's interesting when I spoke to a couple of players yesterday, they both unprompted sort of referenced Man City and well, sorry, in a Man City context, not in a, not, not the way that they, you know, not the way they had the money. I and mean, it actually wasn't a criticism because I think what most people would accept is that when Surrey field the first choice 11, it has got six or seven Academy products in it. And then they, build around that and you take into account they really have their first choice side out and, and all those things. But I think there is certainly a feeling that it is becoming increasingly difficult to to match Surrey. Um, you know, particularly you know, the Dan Lawrence one is it feels like a case in point, doesn't it? And that you you know you, you you want to fill a gap in that top six. So what you do you go and sign the best player at your closest rivals. Um, and of course it's not as simple as that because he's out of contract and that's the only way you can do business. So um, and by all accounts it's as much about the Oval and Surrey and the opportunities as as anything else for for Dan. I, I think Essex will still be strong because they'll still have Chelmsford and they'll still have Harmer and they'll still have. Um, I think Tom Wesley was the first player, the first Essex player since Andy Flower in two thousand and three to score a thousand runs in Div One the season. So it's not like they're losing. Look, Alistair and Dan Lawrence. Off, I don't, we don't know if it's going yet, but they're losing two exceptional players, but they have a very good county cricket lineup behind them and I suspect they'll make a fair bit of money off you know the two you know save a fair bit of money off the guys who do leave them um and I'm sure they'll replace them and I'm sure they've got guys lined up and um as I say Cox coming in still a very good bowling attack. Um as for Hampshire Hampshire will Hampshire if they have Abbott and Abbas will have two world class seamers playing for them for most of the season um which tends to dictate the way they their services go a bit. Um why wouldn't you if you've got two guys who, you know, are going to bowl teams out um, and they'll have Vince and they'll have Dawson and they'll have guys like Fletcher Middleton and Tom Prest who'll be a year older and who have, you know, made real strides over the last 18 months, two years. Um, I don't think they'll be much worse or much less competitive. I think the issue is that you might just have a runaway leader. Um, I mean, let's face it, if, if Surrey hadn't had a slightly poor month by their standards when they lost to Lancashire and they... Um, and I think that was the only Champo game, wasn't it? There were a couple of last games where they, um, you know, that they'd have, they could well have been out of sight. But, um, but equally, a couple of guys have spoken to as well. So that Durham, if you put Durham, this Durham team with with another, you know, with, with an overseas player in there next year, um, would be battling towards the top end of Div One as well. So, you know, sorry, will be the team to beat for a long, old time. And that's not 
because of resource solely, because a lot of teams have had resource and have mismanaged themselves. Like Surrey have, Surrey are, are exceptionally run, and that that is as much to, you know, their credit as as, as the resource that allows them to go and get a Dan Lawrence and guys like that. But, um, but yeah, like catching them will be tougher than ever, and so I don't. If that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And lastly, because I know you've got to go, it's a one-point shootout between Middlesex and Kent, who are both mm. playing quite similar opposition in terms of level of uh, of talent. Um, how do you see it going? Uh, I thought Middlesex would have stayed up if they hadn't lost against Warwickshire. Uh, but the problem is Middlesex, Middlesex have only taken two batting points all season. So Kent know that effectively they can uh, Kent play at Canterbury can effectively play out a high scoring draw and then know that as long as the middle sets don't win, they would be safe. Um and high scoring draws at Kent at Canterbury are not <laughs> certainly not unheard of. Um and they'll have Chahal and Aaron Nidger, I think, to bring back in as two spinners. Um having not played at Somerset, whereas Middlesex have a couple of good players, Max Holden and Steve Eskenazi, they can bring in, but they've not scored many Ripple runs this season, and then effectively it's a bit of a shootout with the bowling, isn't it? I mean, I think Tim Murtha, the plan was for Murta to retire at Lords, but we can't see him not playing now at, at Trent Bridge. So um, they, they are also playing teams that have got nothing really riding, and that brings them both into it. But um, you'd have to say Kent favourites because I think as long as Kent don't lose, you, you're putting a lot of pressure. You know, Middlesex have to go to Trent Bridge and win. Um, Having to say, I mean, not, I think Sam Robson's made both of their both of their championship hundreds this season, um, and the one last week that should have been enough to save them wasn't because there weren't the runs at the other end. So I suspect if I would say if Kent avoid defeat, I think Kent will stay up. May, may I ask a quick question? Should Should Zach Crawley be playing to everybody? Well, I, I don't. If this, when does it start? Tomorrow. They can come in um, from the second day. They, yeah, Jay, I was going to say that because Jamie Smith and Will Jacks, I think, yeah. will come in for the second day. So yeah, the so answer might, should probably be yes. That was my. I was going. I don't know if certain, but I, I'm assuming it's all the same for all the players. Um, I think Kent could do with him. <laughs> well, he's not going to um, be playing anything else for the next two months, is he? No, exactly, and um, and and he's also not likely to be drafting someone in who's not played very much. You know, Zach, Zach Crawley has played a lot of Championship cricket this season for Kent, so um, I see Sam Billings is available as well. Um, Matt Walker said after the last game, I don't know if he'll come in because he's obviously not played for a while either. Um, I think he's played second eleven and, and struggled. Well, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, no, he, he has tried. I think he's 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 not yeah. he's not in the side on form on selection. No. Um, but Matt Walker said he was available, so uh, that'll be that's obviously a decision for them to make. Um, they they lost Michael Hogan at uh, where were they playing at Taunton uh, to injury, which means that they're weird and wacky bowling attacks they've had all season will, will look fittingly weird and wacky at the end. But they have got Chahal, who's a world-class spinner, and that might just swing it as well. Um, but, you know, who knows? Middlesex, this time last year, I think scored 500 at Worcestershire on what was effectively a bit of a minefield, which was seen as sort of double par. Um, you know, if they, it'd be a great time to, to reel that out for them, because if they do that, they've, they've still got the bowling attack to, to win a game. Um and that's what that that I think is that that's what they've got to go and do. They've got to win the game because if they draw, Kent, I'm sure, will pick up more drawing points than the middle says well. 
brilliant stuff nick we'll uh find out if you're right this time next week <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah i'll be in the whole time so ridge I'm, yeah i'm off to synagogue but um but to give a good excuse that no one can argue with that's um, a very good excuse. Get I'll see you. <laughs> Cheers. I'll see you soon. So, where are we with Sir Alistair Cook, Harvey, George? Do you think uh, this this will be his last week in professional cricket? Essex were a little bit moody in their <laughs> their rebuttal. Do you think it was more to do with not wanting Paul Newman to steal Alex Cook's uh, fanfare? I don't know. Um, all I would say is that Paul Newman's very good. The journalist who broke that story, and the way he wrote it would make me suspect that he's onto something. It wouldn't surprise me if that is for Alistair Cook done. Um, I think he to lose Broad, Cook, and then Anderson probably in, in a 12-month period, um, the end of the golden generation of great cricketers. Um, it's sad for English cricket. Um, Cookie's had a great career, but I think that would be I think that would be him done. I, I don't see Cookie carrying on next year. I really don't. I think there was a I think it was a I, I think it was tough for him to play this year. Um, I think he was thinking about this twelve months ago. I think this is the. Um, I think this is it for for the great man, and I think he will play one last week and then do a bit of commentary and a lot of farming over the the, the rest of his days. Um. Okay. Shall we talk about the ICEC report? Well, not the report, but uh, the ECBs was given three months to come back, to go away and then come back again. Uh, George, we're going to be hearing from uh, Richard Gould very, uh, very shortly. Um, By the time this podcast is out, we'll know a little bit more. But uh, what are you hearing uh, in regard to what the ECB are going to be proposing? Well, I have it. Um, So they've they've, they've shared it ahead of, uh, with an embargo. Um, And I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest. It's... um, it doesn't say masses, which I think might be used against them. But I, I, I am respectful of the difficult position in which they find themselves. You know, they found themselves um, required to spend huge amounts of money on very important things at a time when they already were going to have to cut costs. Um, they have already uh, announced some important uh, changes, uh, match fee parity. Uh, gender match fee parity uh but only match fees uh which is a step forward and the partnerships with lots of other organizations such as ace and chance to shine and um the mcc which is really really relevant uh i think it's very interesting that they they well the critics would say that they're uh, giving the responsibility to other people to sort cricket's problems i would say that they're using their partnerships quite smartly because there are experts in in these fields already there and also the ECB will avoid central cost, which is one of the areas they're trying to cut. But I think there will be a sense that it's a, a wee bit lacking on detail and that for all the warm words, we're still looking for action. And I'll give you uh, just one lot of examples um, in terms of sanctions. And I think sanctions matter sometimes because it's sanctions that show people that you can't do things and shock people into change. I think I think that's one of the things that's changed uh culture a little bit so far that people realize that you know york should be the classic example things that happen there which may have been extreme but possibly happened to some extent elsewhere uh just are not acceptable anymore 
I think you need those sanctions. And I can't think of a single case where anyone has been brought to um, judgment uh, that hasn't been taken there by the media. So I'm not sure the internal systems are working still. Um, uh, and, and that is not an area that I, I've got a lot more clarity on having read this response. Um, so, you know, I, I, I suppose um, a, a little bit underwhelmed by it, but while respectful that it's not an easy uh, situation and there's quite a long way to go. You know, when you're talking about changing uh, or improving um, access to cricket in state schools, come on now, that's not easy. Anyone who thinks that's easy, is, you know, that, that's naive. So when they say they're going to have to come up with a strategy over 12 months, it's frustrating, but it's also probably sensible. So I don't know, I, I, but I'm very interested to hear other people's views as well, because I, I, I've been reading it and I'm scratching my head, wondering at times whether it's purposefully dull to take the sting out of any sort of media reaction. One of the um, suggestions or recommendations was parity with the amount of money that is spent on women's cricket in terms of uh, pay uh, for professional female cricketers and professional men's cricketers. Now, we know that the match fees are uh, going to be, uh, there's going to be a synergy. But what about contracts? Uh, is, is, that, is there a requirement that that needs to be the same as well? Who, who are you asking? You. Okay. Yes. There is, and uh, I think that's a very worthy aspiration, to be honest. Look, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Uh, the ECB have uh, sort of interviewed me on that subject and uh, taken my view, and I said I, I absolutely support that as an aspiration, while being respectful of the current marketing, uh, financial difficulties, rather. I still think that's the way to go. I think it's not just the right thing to do morally. I actually think it's the right thing to do practically and financially. I see it as an investment. I think it's going to be very, very difficult to uh, go to the market and say, uh, come and buy our exciting women's cricket, which is increasingly the case, uh, and, and not be walking that, not be walking your words, not actually be doing what you're trying to sell. Um, so I, I think it's become really obvious that the more... Uh, investment you put into these things the more you'll get out of it it's a long way behind uh, i don't think many people would dispute that uh, and and the the term is used um quite often in this response will invest before revenue so no one is saying at the moment that the women's game is creating the same amount of revenue that that will be disingenuous but it's absolutely possible that it will in in, in years to come absolutely possible and i and i think we're getting there much more quickly than anyone could have thought five years ago so i think uh, as i say i think it's the right thing to do i think it will uh, make it a more aspirational sport for talented young women uh, uh talented young athletes who are women and um i think they need to find a way to do it and you're going to say well that's easy to say where does the money come from i i, I do think they've got to be careful at not throwing money at the problem of men's cricketers going to other leagues I don't think that's the way that they will keep the best players. Uh, to some extent, uh, I think you welcome the fact that uh, uh, players can earn a great deal of money towards the back end of their career. You know, if Mark Wood decides in the next year or two to go and to go on the franchise circuit, good luck to him. He's been absolutely fantastic. It's not a very long career. I hope he uh, sorts his family out for his lifetime. Brilliant. Nothing to fear there. Uh, in terms of players at their absolute peak doing it, 
I don't know that they will. And I think we might have to call their bluff when their agents say this is what they're going to do. Go on then. I think we might have to do that sometimes. You will never offer the same amount of money as the leagues. So what you've got to appeal for is the chance to be playing international cricket, chance to play in global tournaments, um, the security of the medical support and the pensions and all the rest of it. Uh, and you've got to make it a really wonderful experience uh, and you compete on that as much as money. Of course, you've got to be competitive, but let's not spend all the money on men's contracts and fees when I don't think it will work anyway. It's only part of the answer. So I, I, I don't know, that's that's a, a, probably a rambling answer, but it, it, it all links. I think the money needs to be found. And I'll give you one more example. I know I mentioned this last week. Uh, we talk about there not being a lot of money in English cricket. And it seems I'm having to go at Derbyshire. To some extent, I am. George Scrimshaw is the first person representing Derbyshire to play for England since Dominic Cork. I know others have come through Derbyshire, Blackwell, what have you. Uh, and been good players and gone on to represent England and Derbyshire deserve some credit for that. But the fact is that, that the ECB have given them every bit of £50 million between England players. There is money. It's not necessarily been spent particularly smartly. And some areas of the game which have taken it without delivering for a long time are really are going to have to sing for their supper far, far better. Good points. Well made. Um Harmy, we haven't heard much from you. Let's talk about George <laughs> Scrimshaw because um, it was a little bit painful, wasn't it, watching his debut for England at the weekend? Um, what were your thoughts? I mean, you've been there. Yeah, um, been there, and, been there, and um, been in just as much as pain as as George was. You know, especially in in Australia, early part of my one day career. Lilac Hill comes to mind. That was a difficult, difficult uh, experience. Many times during that that VB series. Um, the good thing about what George was getting, he's getting a lot of encouragement. There was a lot of players going up to him, a lot of players trying to sort of calm him down. He looked very nervous, the big lads. So um, I, I look at Trent Bridge and Trent Bridge is a difficult place. If you haven't played there many, many times, or to, especially at the top of your action, because it's got a little raised bed where, it's, where the wickets have been laid so much. When you take off on a flat bit, then you you sort of because you you sort of jump in the air and you hold your action. You feel as though you bowl the ball before you actually do on a flat surface somewhere like the Aegeus Bowl or Chester Street at Durham. Um, Old Trafford used to be like that, so that can knock you a little bit as well, especially in the heat of the battle of pressure of your debut. So just trying to think of things that potentially be going through George's mind in them early throws of the over that he did have his struggle with the no balls, potentially not feeling rhythm. So he's he's. He's maybe taken off before he should have, or he's taken off after he should have. And then all of that culminated with no balls. But I remember during my time, I had Nasser Hussain, and everybody has a go at Nasser about the, the sort of captaincy he had and the stern finger he kept shouting and pointing at us. Um, my Nasser was brilliant during that time because he'd stand at mid-off and just go, I want you to bowl 90 mile an hour. You bowl under 85 mile an hour and bowl wide, I'll take you off. If you bowl 95 mile an hour, uh, 90 mile an hour and go for wickets and keep trying to be aggressive for what we've picked you for, I don't really care if you bowl the odd wide. You know, I, I really not bothered. You're in the team for that. So the beauty about what I'm seeing there for George was he didn't die in the hole. He didn't just finish after two overs, pop down a fine leg, and you didn't see him again um, like Boswell did at uh, Gloucester in the final at Lords in 2001. 
He came back strong. He got his wickets at the end. And um, the experience will do the boy the world, the world of good. You know, I'll make him a lot stronger mentally, tested his character. Um, and I think from an ECB point of view and selection point of view, um, you know that this kid's got something because to go through all that and then come back and get three wickets, um, good for the lad. But I can imagine at the time, you know, just wanted the hole to just open up, dive in, see you later. And the anxiety that have been going through, these emotions that have been going at a, a million mile an hour, you'll have been running in faster, trying to let go of the ball quicker. Um, and when all that happens, it tends not to work. It tends to... You need to tend to try and keep your emotions in slow motion. But I think all in all, I think the test of character the boy's just gone through will stand him in good stead for the rest of his career. So I think you will play for England again. Will you play on Tuesday? Should do, shouldn't I? I will play on Tuesday. There's no reason why not to play him on Tuesday. Um, yeah. You'll find at Bristol it's a little bit um, a little bit better for him. It's flat. It's flatter, like ground and surface. Tunbridge is a diff- difficult place to bowl if you haven't bowled there for you know, for ever or for a while. It is a, a difficult place to bowl, especially as you approach your sort of take off and land. So I would play him on Tuesday. There's no reason not to play him. Um, the boy came back strong and I think it will do him the world of good by getting back out there in the middle. And um, look, if you had bowled eight overs, nine overs and not for 70 and not for 80, you might then want to protect him. He came back and got wickets. And that's what he's picked for. Picked because he's a wicket-taken bowler. He got three wickets. Send him out again for me. I thought he was um, quite well captained for what it's worth, yes. uh, and, and not just by Zach Crawley. But I think after eleven legit balls, he got thirty-five. Yeah, he had none for thirty-five. And his next—I uh, don't know—nineteen balls. I don't. I can't actually remember what it was, but it was. It was. They were. They were decent figures. Um, I, I, and you know, I take the point. Harmy has been there, but when Harmy had those those bad moments. There had already been a very good career behind him, you know, um, yeah. uh, which was assured. So, so poor old George Scrimshaw was really in the position where he could have been an oddity. He could have been, I hate to say it, but a Simon Kerrigan. And I don't think Simon Kerrigan was particularly sympathetically captained. But what was noticeable was um, uh, between overs, he was on the on the third boundary and he was just shaking his head. He was clearly down on himself. It was bad. It was it was it was painful. And I'm trying to think who the first to rush up to him was. I think it was Ben Duckett. Now, Ben Duckett was doing uh, quite a lot of the obvious leadership on the pitch the other day. Uh, he was doing a lot, a lot of the field placement. And um, and so the combination of Duckett and Crawley, who Duckett's obviously the vice captain of that England side, was, um, you know, g- got him back in the game and at least gave him something to smile about. I don't know what his international future is, and I'm not positive I would play him again. Uh, but you, you, you know, you'd have to make a decision based on how he was, and how he is today. But um, you know, it could have been a lot worse, and he did come back, and he will have some some positive memories of coming through an ordeal. Uh, and to some extent, he's got his teammates and and leaders to to thank for that. I thought they handled a very tricky situation, really quite, uh, really quite sensitively. Well done, well done, all. Um, okay, last topic. Uh... To bring us to a uh, to a close, we we do talk about the hundred a lot, the proposed changes um, article. I'm sure there's one on the cricketer, uh, but also one on the Daily Telegraph by Will McPherson, suggesting that the counties essentially are going to be given five options in regard to how they would uh, like the game to go. Kind of feel like we've been here before. Uh, it seems to me that Durham 
actually would mind their own hundred team if they if it comes uh, comes down to Durham. Durham probably choose for a for a you know the hundred to extend to ten teams, one heading down Somerset Way. Um, but then there's talk of this thirty nine team T Twenty league, investable cricketing pyramids, um, and the like. Um, is there a time frame for this, George? I mean, what's what's the feeling on the ground about where this is going to go? Because I think we need uh, we need quite a lot of agreement before anything changes. Okay, just quickly, Jackson Smith are playing for Surrey from Wednesday. Uh, haven't got a decision on Zach Crawley yet. That that's I've just been uh, messaging while we've been talking. So I'll let you know if we get that before the end of the show. Oh, uh, in terms in terms of this. <sighs> Yes, it feels as if they're going to go with the um, joint venture option, which will see uh, each team receive, let's say, £40 million worth of investment for someone to buy into, half of which will go to the ECB, which is quite a lot of money, and half which will go to the team. Um, And it might be £50 Who knows what they can sell them for? And I just the reason I say that is not because I think it's a good idea I actually don't but it will be very hard for everyone involved to turn down that sort of money it will kick the can down the road again it will as I say it'll be at least 10 teams I think it could be more and that means that you've got 10 votes for it on a real basic level I mean you might not but it will be hard to see anyone turning down another 25 million um I I don't particularly like any of that uh those ideas I don't think they they solve the problems uh with the hundred uh and I think they presuppose that money is going to solve some of those problems and it won't the money will just go in player fees it won't solve the fact that we've sold August um and all the scheduling issues which stem from that um but would it, it not look pay like... would it not pay you know we're talking about paying for women's cricket um and I, I use that word I don't I don't mean that Look, we've underinvested in women's cricket for a hundred years. It's fallen behind men's cricket. We need to overinvest to get it back up to parity. That's what I mean. But essentially, we need to find that money from somewhere. Is that not here? Is that not where this money could come from? Because it does cost. Well, I mean, that, Will, Will McPherson that, that would be an argument. said for every for thirty million pounds spent on the women's game, the ECB get ten million pounds back. Well, now, maybe today, today, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying. So we, that needs to. So change. You're, you're trying to get to a position where the next uh, deal is goes from 2028, and you would like to be in a position where the um, the games can maybe be sold separately, and you have an entirely new revenue stream. That that seems to me to be the sensible. Is aspiration. that likely? Um, got five years now. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I why, think why that the be? success of the women's game has come from not being sold separately. And I struggle to see from, a, I mean, even from a broadcast perspective, in terms of how much it costs to put on a game of cricket, it's, it is, I think, optimistic to feel that in five years, the women's game will be able to stand on its own and support itself personally well that's not well that isn't quite what i said to be fair but there is yeah, a distinction yeah. no uh, no but, but, no no you're right you're yeah. right that is a, but but by separating it 
that kind of suggests that it's going to have to succeed on its own, doesn't it? By yeah, not yeah, at, at some stage, yes. I mean, because there's, yeah, yeah, there's, there's and a I'm cultural if, change think, in uh, what our expectations of women's sport are. I think and, I think five years is too soon for that. Well, it might be. Yeah. It might be. As I said, that's the aspiration. But I would say that the progress made in the last five years, bearing in mind they've involved COVID, have been pretty extraordinary. And, and the women's cricket at its best is compelling. The, 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 the problem is clearly the depth of the game. And that's, you know, we have to acknowledge the, the drawbacks that you can have poor games too, but you can in the blast. I've seen some dog rough yeah. men's test matches here. Mate, I went um, to see so... Fulham versus Luton Town and the tickets right. were 100 quid. And that was right. not a game I'll ever speak about ever again after this sentence finishes. Right. So, so um, you know, that we, we have to acknowledge, obviously, the issues and the problems. But uh, I think that's it's a worthy aspiration. Um, yeah, whether yeah, the money, course. whether the money from investing in the hundred would be used for that. I don't know. I mean, in a perfect world, what are you going to do? Ring fence it? I mean, I suspect all that would happen is you'll spend ever more to try and get the best players to come. I mean, they're not getting the best players to come to play in the hundred. And I'm not sure they will. No, you know, you but... the, the, the issue is that a player can play for, say, who is it Jason Roy's playing for? Uh, the Knight Riders, yeah? The Knight Riders have a franchise in the CPL, right? They're going to have one in America. The English season is being squeezed, and I don't think that money is the best way to compete. It's one of the ways. It's part of the armoury. But if you're just trying to write the biggest check, I don't think you're going to get any proper commitment... I just don't think that's the way to go. And I also think you're just going to see money go to the players. Good luck to them. Fine. But I don't see that that's, that's not the same thing as investing in, in cricket. So just because you have higher income doesn't mean you have higher turnover. Uh, sorry, I have higher turnover. It doesn't mean you have higher revenues. And, and I think what we've seen with the hundred money in the new broadcast deal is that it was fool's gold. I've said that all along, to be fair. Sure, the broadcast deal was a lot of money, 1.1 billion. But actually, the ECB's reserves dipped. The money spent on the 100 was more than the money coming in. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. 
To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You know, just because there's a pot of gold out there doesn't mean that you don't end up spending two pots of gold to get it. So I, I think they're thinking of it all wrong, to be honest. And I, I still think that this is short term thinking from the counties. And I would hope for a bit more leadership. I don't think any of these five solutions are ideal. I, don't, I, I wouldn't have gone with any of them. And uh, I, I hope that while they're kicking it around, uh, they'll come up with something better. Uh, but in terms of the question you asked me, I wouldn't expect anything to change before this time next year. So you're looking at the 25 season uh, at the earliest. Good stuff. Time for my NFL scheduling to come into place for 2024. <laughs> uh, people got thought that traction. we were... Sorry, what was that, Hubby? I got some, tra- I got some interaction that last week, the old uh, the NFL yeah. stuff. Um, after the season's over, I'm going to put together a much better, well-formulated plan. You'll see it. It, it, it does make sense. Just There's a little time. I've not seen 2024. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Gareth Batty and Alex Stewart would be too happy with the idea. Though. No, sorry, Harley. I'm, I'm not seen sort of the you know, in depth of the, the the five proposals. Are any of them going to change the format? Because I think the format is something. I think we're not we're not getting the best product because I think the format is not the greatest. I think if it was a 20, 2020 competition, ten teams around England in big stadiums. I think we've got more chance with investment to get more players to come and play. But at this minute, I don't think the best players are coming to play. Firstly, because of the money situation. But I'm not sure the format does us any favours whatsoever. We can still call it 100 and play T20, but I don't think the format's doing us any favours whatsoever. Just make the five ball overs and we're all, everyone will be happy. It'll be T20, 100. I think the format is the biggest thing for me when it comes to the player. Not the biggest thing from a player's point of view because it's always about money. But I think it puts a lot of people off because of the way the game is played. I don't think anybody really still understands it and we're three or four years in. Where are we going to be in five years' time? Are we still going to be playing 100? You know, I think it has to be moved to Durham, the north, because we keep forgetting Scotland and there's a lot of people up there come down to England and watch cricket. I'd love to see cricket in the Olympic Stadium. I think that would be a, a showcase. I think you get loads of people going to watch that. You'd fill that. But that would be, we couldn't do that in August because they play football in there. But I still I still come back to the, the format. I still think the format is the, the one thing that I don't like about it. And I think it, it, it puts a lot, I think it puts people off watching it because of they, they don't understand it. And I don't think the players really understand it either. It's better this year because there's more fast bowlers played in it. Meant for a better contest between bat and ball. I still I watching the, the standard was quite high this year. I did think that, particularly with the new ball bowling, and I thought that was really, really fun. But 
I mean, you've got some big issues. Uh, look, I don't think the format was particularly has particularly been talked about. Mainly is because I don't think they see that as a, a primary problem. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if it reverted to T20, and, and I wouldn't see that as a particularly big deal either. The, the, the other issues are look, if you go to ten teams, what are the few good things? Uh, and I remain um, anti hundred broadly uh, uh, is that you have eight teams and eight regional women's teams yeah so that kind of made sense what do you do if you go to 10 well how does that work what does it happen I mean, to tell me how does it work i I'm, I'm, maybe it does maybe it's brilliant but i don't see it and equally if you play at taunton which seems to be getting and i'm a somerset supporter yeah seems to be getting a team because they've made the loudest fuss taunton's tiny <laughs> taunton's tiny it's absolutely not what they were talking about and if taunton why not bristol I mean, Bristol's yeah. a bigger ground and a, a good club and aspirational. You can get more people in. I'm, I'm not saying it shouldn't be taught to the. I mean, you know, I want Somerset to thrive and prosper, but um, why not? Why not Gloucestershire? Why not Bristol? And and if then, yeah. if you end up with ten or even twelve, what on earth happens to the others? You know, what are we? It's so much easier to add than subtract. I knew that that's what they'd do because it's it's so much easier to sell that idea to people. But actually, you end up with a rump that are really struggling. And you were talking a rump of, say, Sussex, um, Worcestershire, Kent, you know, important clubs. Uh, Leicestershire, obviously, um, just won a trophy. Um, I, I really worry what would happen to those teams. Also, that would extend the tournament. Isn't kind of the point of the tournament is that it's quite short. I mean, one of the problems it has is it's still quite long compared to the uh, the American League. And the CPL, so overseas stars would rather just play for three weeks rather than four. If you had another couple of teams, then don't you have to add on another week and a half to the tournament? Yes, you probably. Well, I don't know about as long as that. I mean, you could have. Well, you well, yeah. Teams play every day. There's one game a day, isn't there? Well, apart from weekends. So essentially, if you've got another two teams and they've both got to play what eight games. Well, there are. There, I'm not sure there is necessarily one t- uh, one uh, a game. I mean, you you could have the, but it depends. I mean, it depends what you think of double headers as well. I, I know there's a lot of support for them. I think they they've almost run their course. Um, I find it a bit annoying to have the the women's game played at say lunchtime. I think they could switch people. those around. I think that's the well, idea. they could switch those around, or yeah. or at some stage you could say. I, I have the confidence to say it'll stand on its own two feet, and I think we're very very nearly there. But maybe not quite. It depends on different areas of the country as well. You know, a, 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 just a little. Um, but that would extend barometer. the tournament even more. Well, it depends how you played it. Not if you did it with promotion and relegation. You could have eighteen teams split into two divisions by T Twenty, which would promotion and relegation. You could have a women's team at every county. Oh God, it's the Kia Super League and, <laughs> and, the, and the blast. See, um, I thought one if... of the I thought one of the strengths of the tournament was that everybody's watching the same game, so everybody's talking about it. You know, one game a night or afternoon. I know the weekends well, they have double. Well, it double wasn't headers. necessarily. I mean, that's one of the things that became uh, more difficult this year. In in that, um, for one thing, if you've got double headers, it's a long old day. You know, you're dedicated six or seven hours. It's quite a lot. Um, and secondly, there were a lot of games that were hardly broadcast at all. I mean, there were really the you know the the BBC. I want to have a go at the BBC, but there were you they were streamed. You they weren't on. Five Live or Five Live Sport Extra, you know, no. you, you had to go. They dropped to the, the updates as well. 
So you had to go to the specific area you were looking for. And part of the joy of this is meant to be uh, that people could stumble across it and fall in love with it. Now, that's great. I I believe they probably could. But if you have to search it out by going on, you know, a particular... It's it's preaching to the converted, isn't it? Which is a complete antithesis of what this this tournament was all about. And and obviously, I'm going to say the same again. I thought we had something going quite well with the Blast and the Kia Super League, which admittedly hadn't taken hold in the same way this has but uh, i think it could have done and i still think that's the way to progress with the least amount of collateral damage but that, that that's the issue with this no no one's saying that but if you watch who was it i, I was watching uh shahina freedy i can't remember who he was bowling to but it was it was absolutely fantastic standard of cricket you know um and you and you couldn't deny that it would be ridiculous but there's so much collateral damage and uh, actually, I think I still think the game is contracting if you're playing in eight or ten centres rather than eighteen. And in an ideal world, you might try and find more teams. You know, you you might want to have a, another team in, I don't know, East Anglia or Devon or I, I don't know. You know, areas of the country which are less well served. Cornwall, I suppose, would be a classic example. Um, and this is why uh, the, the Richard Gould idea for the investable pyramid is probably in my view, the least bad of the options, but I, I just can't see it happening. Well, yep, that brings us to the end of the show. We will be back somehow next week. But for now, you've been listening to Following On, County Cricketer. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.